So this is uh, two paragraphs from uh, Thomas Paine's Common Sense. And I think the theme here um, is going to be a central one in our discussion today. I shall conclude these remarks with the following timely and well-intended hints. We ought to reflect that there are three different ways by which an independency can hereafter be affected, and that one of those three will, one day or other, be the fate of America. By the legal voice of the people in Congress, by a military power, or by a mob. It may not always happen that our soldiers are citizens, and the multitude a body of reasonable men. Virtue, as I have already remarked, is not hereditary, neither is it perpetual. Should an independency be brought about by the first of those means, we have every opportunity and every encouragement before us to form the noblest, purest constitution on the face of the earth. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. A situation similar to the present hath not happened since the days of Noah until now. The birthday of a new world is at hand, and a race of men, perhaps as numerous as all Europe contains, are to receive their portion of freedom from the events of a few months. The reflection is awful, and in this point of view, how trifling, how, how ridiculous do the little paltry cavillings of a few weak or interested men appear when weighed against the business of a world. Welcome back, comrades and friends, to the Highlands Bunker Podcast. We are operating in the shadow of Rockford Tower among the dealmakers and consensus fakers of the Delaware Way elite. Carl and I are happy to introduce our guest today, uh, Vashu Jayanthi. Uh, <laughs> Jayanthi. Jayanthi. I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, Vashu is a Delaware resident uh, and a student at Brown University. Uh, she recently wrote an op-ed in the news journal titled, Delaware, Our Government is Failing, But We Have the Power to Change It. Vashu, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've never done anything like this before. Um, oh. Before cool. we keep going, uh, it's pronounced Vasu Janthi. Vas, Vasu Janthi. Yeah. <laughs> Vasu. Sorry, I probably gotcha. shouldn't have said that sooner. But. No, I appreciate that. Um, and, and like I said, I see it and I get it in my head. And that's the actually, that's the worst part of it is for people who mispronounce names all the time. Um, once you mispronounce it once, it makes it even harder for some reason. So it's one of my little quirks, and I do apologize. And of course, it's also something that um, every time I do mispronounce something, Carl somehow is able to edit it into the thing in a funny way, like at the end or with me stumbling over something. So I'm sure this will be another uh, occasion of me having to, <laughs> having to take the embarrassment of doing that. So sorry about that. Um, so are, uh, you're a Delaware native. I know you live here now. Yeah, I was born in Wilmington. I've lived here my whole life. Um, the only time I haven't lived here was when I was at college. So. so how did you grow up? What were the circumstances that sort of made you politically aware? Um, was there any sort of things you can point to that kind of made you interested in whether it's just social change or just being sort of a, a public citizen in some way? I'm interested in that. Yeah, um, I do want to preface this by saying like I grew up with 
definite relative privilege. Um, like I live in a safe neighborhood, um, pretty affluent. So I hate to pretend to know the struggle of other people, but I hope in the work I'm doing, I'm able to uplift those voices. Um, that said, like in elementary and middle school, I always liked the idea of being in charge, being like class president, being the line leader, that sort of thing. Um, like I was in student council all throughout eighth grade, um, or all throughout middle school. And then by eighth grade, I was the student council president. And that kind of just like made me think more about actual politics and being um, a real politician. I know like school things aren't dealing with real world issues, but it feels like that within the context of where you are. Um, Probably I started paying attention to real issues two years ago after Parkland. Um, the whole idea of school shootings was like very real, very scary, and I wanted to do something about it, but I felt pretty powerless. Um, you know, we have all these older people in government and they don't care much about what younger folks have to say, but Seeing the March for Our Lives movement spring out of Parkland was really inspiring for me. I got to attend the actual event in D.C. through um, a school trip, and it was just really empowering to see so many young people having this huge national platform and huge national following, and they were being taken seriously for the first time, which was so cool. And that, to me, was the first time I was like, whoa, I can be a part of that, like, my voice is important and it should be out there. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I'm so interested to hear you say because I was at the um, I was at that march in Washington too. Uh, my wife and I, my wife and I went. Uh, two friends of ours who have uh, a younger son uh, went, and I guess he was I'm trying to think how old he was at the time. Maybe he wasn't ten yet. So, and it had a cool sort of a cool vibe to it, um, and because there was a lot of kids there, but it was still. Um, you know, it still had an edge to it, too, because, you know, people are very passionate about the issue. And I think that's great because it's just about sort of knowing that, yeah, you may be in a particular situation with either a lack of power or you're not being heard. But together, um, you see that when you get to get the more people you get together, um, there actually is a power in that because people have to begin to take that seriously. Um, and that's really the only way to do it is by coming together and standing in solidarity with with everybody. So that's a, it's a cool because, I, yeah, I was there. It was a great event. And I was happy to see it that it was, you know, it was student driven all the way up and down, really. Mm -hmm. Now, are you doing any work with them um, specifically or did you just sort of get into that and then sort of realize that organizing was a way that you could start to uh, that you could start to stand in solidarity and get some power and, and be able to be active? Yeah, we um. My high school, Concord, I'm a proud Concord alum, Go Raiders. Um, we were kind of at the forefront of organizing protests and walkouts around that time. Um, I was sort of a part of that, but I didn't get to be super involved. Um, but that was, like I said, the driving force, I think, the um, leap off the diving board. Um, I gathered a group of people. We tried to start a Wilmington chapter of the March for Our Lives. Didn't really take off, but I still have like some connections with those people and the Delaware chapter. Um, we tried like organizing a youth climate strike last year. Again, like that didn't quite work out, but the passion is there and we 
saw that there are people who want to be doing those things. We just need a boost. So then, like, that was my introduction to organizing. Um, but I guess what I lacked was guidance, like, real leadership with people who are experienced in this sort of thing. And that's what I think I really found with Jess's team. Um, I heard about the campaign back in January through Twitter. And um, I heard that she was a Green New Deal champion, and I was immediately on board. Um, obviously, she has a lot of other great policies that I came to learn more about. But at the time, like environment was just my main issue. I really wanted to see that from a senator. I had called like our current representatives' offices before. I had looked into their environmental um, platforms, but I wasn't quite frankly. I really was not impressed. Um, there's so much more to be done in that avenue, um, and I really saw that with Jess. Yes, I'm, I'm interested too. So you were um, you were. Keen, you were keyed into the campaign. I guess you were still uh, at school at that time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What's the? Because um, it kind of leads into some of the stories that I'm interested in. But what's the feeling that you get, um, whether it's on your campus or when you're back home, regarding um, just student and and young adult sort of activism and organizing? And I ask because, as you said, like, um, you know, I think some people when they see students do it, find it maybe uh, elitist or privileged or something, and a lot of people don't sort of get it. Um, certainly being at Brown is uh, very prestigious. Um, so I wonder what sort of, if, if, if you get the feeling that there is any kind of um, connotation about it, uh, sort of being a privileged position to even be able to do it, or, or whether, um, you know, how, when, you're, when you're organizing amongst um, your peer group. Yeah, there's definitely a culture at Brown and I think other elite sort of universities. I have air quotes around that. Um, I saw you do that. That's okay. <laughs> All right, we are we have we have uh we've worked with um Margaret who who uh was started <coughs> uh as one of our producers and we've worked with her here and she she graduated from Brown. I don't know if you know her. She's worked uh, on Jess's campaign a little bit too. So, I always tease her about Brown and she sort of does the same thing. So, that's Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's definitely this culture there where, like, students are so involved, they're aware of what's happening politically and around the world, um, and they want to be involved, they want to be making their voices heard. That's so big for young people, I think. We just really want to be heard because we've been silenced for so long. Um, but that turns into, I fear, um, talking over marginalized voices, and that's something that I've been trying hard not to do. So I think students at Brown are, as a whole, extremely privileged. Um, so that is like one thing that's very different between being at school and being here. Uh, I feel like folks in Delaware are more down to earth, more in touch with the problems that people are actually facing here. But even then, there is a lot of um, performative activism, things that are just sharing stories, sharing what's happening, but not really doing anything to change it. Um, like we can share Black Lives Matter posts. These are important and we can attend protests and you know show up to these things and that's all great. But the real way to affect change is to organize, 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 um, be on the ground, talk to people, see what they want and work to elect folks who can actually implement the policy changes we need to see in order to fix these 
systemic and complex problems we're seeing. Yeah, I have to tell you that I'm, uh, I'm so it makes me very happy because even I have a problem uh, on the on the internet on Twitter. I feel like this is why am I even doing any of this? This is completely worthless. Um, so I've tried to start pulling it back too, and and it, it's interesting because I was just talking to uh, my wife and my mom yesterday, and when I uh, went to the University of Delaware, not everybody even had a computer. Like some people did, or you went to the lab. Um, you know, there was no real internet internet until maybe I was a senior, um, but it still hooked me in, into it. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people sort of get too locked into it, and it really, like I said, even sharing memes and sharing stories. Well, maybe sharing stories, and and certainly it is used for organizing in some fashion, which I think is great. Um, but I think a lot of people get into that trap. Um, but seeing everyone um, sort of with Jess and in other campaigns and in other things sort of outside the political realm, people getting involved. Um, I, I'm very heartened by that uh, because I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that generation that sort of got hooked into the internet, you're, you're seeing how bad it was and, and you guys will sort of get off of it a little bit. I don't, I don't know. What's your feeling about that? Okay. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. That's not something I really previously thought about a lot, but um, I do want to say like, I don't mean to discount what, people do online I think raising awareness and you know lifting these voices are really important um, but now in the age of COVID I think we are relying more on these digital sources of organizing and what is important here is finding the right ways of doing that not just you know blindly reposting whatever you see but sharing content that is meaningful um, and really uh, targets the right people, reaches the right audiences, and sends the right message. Um, so maybe like that distinction is something people are struggling with. Um, it's really about just putting out the right message. Yeah, I I've also noticed that um, if too much time online, especially like politically online, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, um, I think or I feel like gives people a false reflection of what's the actual constituencies and, you know, the questions that are at hand. I think it, it gives you sort of a narrow slice and, and puts everybody into little camps, and this person is this, and this person's on left Twitter, and this person's that. And uh, But those, I don't, I don't think a lot of those categories that we think of even exist in the organizing or in the political world. I think people think that there are certain kinds of people um, and they can be engaged in certain kind of ways, but I think a lot of that's sort of, um, I think it's sort of fake. It's sort of, especially, and, and, and again, I'm interested too because I never got on Facebook. I was never on it. Um, and so I know things happen on Facebook and Instagram that are different than Twitter. Twitter seems ex ex exceptionally bad. Uh, for this kind of stuff, uh, I'm wondering if, if if that has any um, if you have any comment on that. Um, maybe not just the difference between Twitter and, and sort of other platforms, but the idea that there are subgroups and affinity groups and cosplay groups and you know you know 18 versions of anarchists and Marxist Leninists and things like that. And I think it it, it really clouds people's judgment about how to go out in the world and like meet like a regular person that doesn't have one of those avatars you know um yeah i wonder if you have any uh thoughts on that yeah no social media is definitely really divisive and it sucks that there are all these camps and subgroups out there when really 
we all want the same thing. Um, that's kind of the cool thing about this new progressive platform that it does encompass all these people. There's really something for everyone. So if we just unify and stop fighting each other on the minutiae, we could really make something happen. So it is unfortunate that social media is so divisive, but I think in person, people are more open and willing to hear from other perspectives and other backgrounds. Yeah, it drives people to, uh, I, I continually have, and I don't know if you have the same experience, but I'll, I'll have conversations about social media and, and online politics sort of driving people to the electoral realm or making like those elections are the most important thing. Like you pick, you pick sides and you work for that side and, and sort of, and a lot of people have a critique of that um, between, you know, what electoral politics can accomplish. Um, but I think because they're online, they don't realize that as you said, and I think you're right, it's, it's a means to pretty much the same end. Uh, and, and for me, as long as you can look at something and say, well, there is a differentiation between, you know, two Democrats because one takes us in the direction that we all want to go in, even though, you know, my anarchist friends and my anarchist comrades aren't going to vote, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tricky. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't have to do it when I was, you know, 22, that's for sure. So you, you mentioned um, in your op-ed briefly um, just some of the interactions that you had and, and, you know, and sort of briefly just summarize what, what sort of came out of it of, of, of people sort of saying, you know, this, everybody in power has sort of failed in, in some sense. Um, it doesn't really matter what party they're in. It's just the consensus Delaware way failure. And it was interesting that you sort of uh, alluded to that with one person you had spoken to. And I, I was wondering whether you had any, if you had any other stories or, or anything else that sort of it, just within an interaction that you're having um, was able to demonstrate to you like, ah, here's, this is a, sort of a, uh, illustrates an idea I've been thinking about and somebody was able to sort of to talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, no, a lot of folks are really just struggling through our pandemic response. Um, I, that's one of the biggest things I hear when talking to voters. They are absolutely appalled by our president and our whole um, federal administration, really, the way that they've handled this whole crisis, the way that they haven't showed up for working class people. Um, in addition to that, a lot of folks lately have been concerned about health care, how costs are rising, but treatment is not improving. They're not able to access things they can't. Um, they're so afraid of getting sick. They're so afraid of getting contracting COVID because they don't believe that they're going to be able to pay for it, much less like, I mean, Preserving personal health is secondhand. What they're worried about first is being able to pay for it. Um, and that's absolutely unacceptable to me. Um, I hadn't thought like that seriously about Medicare for All prior to talking to people. But because um, like my parents have employer provided insurance that's been working for us okay so far. But that simply hasn't been a lot of folks' experience. Um, like I said at the beginning, I am super privileged and I try to be aware of this. And I think talking to voters has been a massive privilege check for me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I hate to put it in these these terms, but certainly the pandemic has kind of ripped away some of the veneer that was there that people could sort of ignore 
uh, th- I mean, you, you, you brought up a great one. Um, you know, people say, well, I have, I have good health care. I have employer, but you know, when the, when the unemployment skyrockets and then you, then you don't, and then what do you do? And then when you look at, when you look at Cobra, which is something that both parties were like, well, we'll give you, co-. it's, it's just, it's terrible. And I think that's, that's the trick I think is, is, is sort of indicating that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of media hype and, you know, a lot of it is warranted, but about national politics, about the president, about, you know, th- those type of things. But really, the situation that we're in was caused by a, cons- a consensus that everyone sort of signed off on. And once people start to realize that, I think the message of Jessica Rain, of uh, Medina, of... Eric Morrison of Marie Pinckney people here like um, Ilhan Omar is uh, her primaries today. So she's on my mind, but people like that start to break through because, um, you know, while people don't want to hear the line, both parties are the same because that's actually not true, but everyone has, has really worked off of a consensus that has put us in a very, very bad place. And if the people who, who executed on that don't, at least sort of admit it or don't at least sort of reflect on it and, and, and try to address their role in it. Um, people are going to be extremely sort of dis, uh, disenfranchised or, 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 you know, or, or not thinking anything's possible because everything on offer is just a consensus. And even when it's wrong, you're not able to say it's wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I I've had a lot of conversations with people doing phone banking that have heard you know similar things, and you know now you have something to tell them. Um, that's you know help is available. You know uh, sort of like you said in your op-ed, um, you know we have the power to change it. We do you know, have you, that power. Yeah, if you show up in the street in D.C., but also fifty thousand other people show up on the same day, or a hundred thousand other people show up on the same day, they pay attention to that. You know, or, you know, again, people get their votes disenfranchised or they, they don't think it's going to work or they don't trust people talking to them. I, I sort of get that, but that doesn't change the fact that the pa- we do have the power. It's just a, a fact of convincing people to exercise it uh, because actually it will, it will uh, you know, it will make change. Yeah, no, that disenfranchisement and voter suppression, those are such real things. And those are things that I would have loved to have talked about more in my article but I didn't have the word space to do so. But I think that people who have an easy access to vote, who are able to do so, who have no obstructions to reaching their polling place or sending in a ballot, they have to show up for the people who can't, the people who are being left behind. Um, And I feel like that's not really getting through to a lot of folks. Even at Brown, where people are so like civically engaged, people are still like, Uh, my vote doesn't matter like it's just one out of millions like I can't really make a change but if that many people are thinking like that that's what leads to something like 2016 and what might happen now in 2020 and that's not a reality we can afford to experience again yeah I mean I I heard that argument uh, a couple of days ago on a podcast and the podcast has I don't know how many uh, you know, listeners across the country, hundred, a couple hundred thousand, uh, not this one, uh, fingers crossed on that. 
Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, if if you know, if ten thousand people or five thousand people in Florida would have voted differently or would have voted at all in two thousand, we would have had a different outcome. Um, as you said, with two thousand sixteen. A very few number of people in a very few number of states would have provided a different outcome. Now, would the would the government be any less of a consensus government within certain kinds of parameters? Probably not, and that's true. Um, I agree with that. I, I, you know, I don't think much, and I don't think much of Joe Biden either. However, and this is where the big thing comes in: if we continue to do everything we're doing. And we organize, 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 and get in the street. We can do that all the time. That doesn't have to stop. That doesn't have to be in a. Re that's not a reaction to a political moment or a political outcome, or a particular person or a political news story. Um, that's reactionary shit. We have this has to be a sustained, regardless, forward, no matter who. So it's like people say, vote blue, no matter who. I say, you know, go out and protest, no matter who. You know, go out and and, and make trouble, no matter who. That's really, I think, um, you know, the most important thing. Definitely. Always demand better. That's what I keep telling myself and keep telling the people who join this campaign. We have, like, obviously our current situation sucks. Even if we get Jess in there, even if we manage to kick Donald Trump out, we should always, always demand better of our people. Yeah, and I just, um, you know, I don't know how active you were a few years ago. But you know, we there were there were there were victories that people looked at as maybe Democratic Party victories, or I don't know, maybe some people thought they were leftist victories. I certainly didn't, but uh, but we didn't see a lot of change at the state level, uh, as you said. We 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 could we could uh, you know we could the Democrats could pick up you know and maybe change the the, the makeup of the Senate. Uh, does that particularly mean that uh, you know the things on the platform are going to get passed? Probably not. And so people have to expect that it's a the political the the electoral part of it is just a it's a shot you can fire every two years, um, but no matter no matter who no matter how you have to continue to demand to go forward. There's no like there's there is no status quo that's going to be that's going to be good enough. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's about motivating people that. That like motivating their imagination that this is possible, um, which must be, you know, um, must be pretty interesting. I don't, did you did you have any other stories about trying to motivate people or or maybe like sort of the disenfranchisement or some other uh, topics you weren't able to cover in the op-ed? Um, really, the big one was just voter suppression. Um, I know it's like a much bigger deal in other states, but for me personally, it was a weird and convoluted process just to have an absentee ballot sent to my school. I don't, I like, the Department of Elections website is absurdly hard to navigate, and there are just so many things that need to be streamlined and expedited and elucidated about the whole electoral process, I think, for a lot of people. Um, another thing I hear from making calls is, like, oh, like, I already voted in that election. I don't know what you're talking about. Or, like, oh, okay, well, I, I thought the election was in November. What is the September election I'm hearing about? Um, so there's a lot of work, I think, that also needs to be done as far as voter education is concerned, making sure that people are aware that there are these distinct elections, that the primary is separate from the general, that you have a choice between 
so many different people for so many different positions. Um, a lot of people are just focused on the presidential right now when there is a chance to affect change at other um, levels. Yeah, for sure. Um, had you um, had you been out sort of canvassing and door knocking at all before? Uh, no. Um, yeah, I I was gonna want, I was wondering. I know that's something um, you know Carl and I talk about because Carl's the king of the canvas. But what uh, you know how COVID maybe has affected that kind of organizing. But I think you know from a from a phone basis or that you know if you're able to to do some outreach to people, it certainly has affected their position or at least their uh, their anxiety level. So, you know, that gives you an opportunity to sort of talk about, talk about that, which you didn't have before. Um, but I imagine like, you know, the, 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 the mail-in thing is going to be quite, quite difficult because of the reasons that you said, because for, for our state, it's pretty foreign. Um, I can remember voting one time absentee, um, but I had to go in to do, I had to go to the office to do it it wasn't even on the internet internet yet this was uh maybe 2004 um so yeah it, it's it's here it's very you know with with people not knowing how to do that and maybe not wanting to go out it's going to be it's going to be interesting I, I and i actually don't know who i actually don't know what that impact would be um maybe carl can jump in too you know if people are having difficulty sort of navigating the website or they don't understand the mail they get uh, and they don't want to go vote, like, who are those people? What kind of impact could it have? It really could be anybody. I don't think there's any any way anybody can predict sort of what sort of if that would slide anything one way or the other. It's sort of just conjecture at this point or or hopeful or, or negative one way or the other. But I think that's about it. Um, I mean, have you um, ha have has anybody just basically said. I, I please tell me how to vote by mail because I'm not going out. Yeah, no, just a couple of days ago, I was talking to this lady. She was currently located in Georgia and wasn't going to be able to come back to Delaware in time for the election. And something was wrong with her mail forwarding or something. So she wasn't able to request an absentee ballot to be sent to her location in Georgia. Um, and I had no idea what to tell her because what can you do if the post office is that messed up at the moment and the process isn't easy and the department of elections even if you call them they're not helpful so yeah i mean the systems aren't great um i, I noticed from the time that i i had to go in because the 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 rule had been that you needed a particular excuse to be able to get an absentee ballot and then uh Based on COVID, they, that's when they said, okay, well, the sickness excuse now covers that for the April primary, the presidential primary. Now, when I went in and, and uh, requested my mail-in ballot uh, earlier this week, uh, it was a little bit better. Like the prompts, like you didn't have to know ahead of time, at least if you followed the prompts, you could do it, but it was still very clumsy. Like I could see somebody just saying like, I don't understand how to get through this module. Um, so... You know, and then the mail I got to request one through the mail was basically, you know, the website just put on paper, so it wasn't any more clear, really. Yeah, and I don't, and, and I don't, I want, I don't know what to tell people either, because people ask me, oh, how's this vote by mail thing's gonna work? I don't know, you know, and, and we certainly have you have you noticed uh, U, U.S. post office like issues just at your at your house? I mean, are you getting your the same mail that you would normally get at the same times, or have you noticed like service changes? 
I think it's been okay for us so far. We don't have a lot of emergency items coming in the mail, and we only check it once a week anyway. Yeah. Um, because we don't like going out because of COVID. <laughs> but um, no, like I've heard countless stories of like small businesses suffering because they can't get their mail on time, or like friends just trying to keep in touch with each other, and it's concerning that they have delays for that. It really sucks because the postal service is such an integral system and integral service for this country and it's just a whole mess there and yeah i'm lucky too because just a few months ago i started to notice like uh the, the post person was coming at like crazy times like oh we got the we got mail at nine o'clock in the morning and tomorrow we got it at 6 p.m um different stuff was and and, and again I'm, we're lucky because uh, you know we don't get uh, you know prescriptions by mail or like you know any live checks or anything like that so you know it's not nothing's um that important but i did notice just some very strange service stuff even before i come to find out that that's you know sort of by design um uh, just to just to create more sort of chaos within the system which is which again is is horrible um uh, and it just makes people again just feel more and more dejected that you know i have i i don't have any i don't have any power to change this when actually we do have the power to change this. Um, well, I I I want to I want to close, but I I do um, I do want you to give sort of any other pitch. Um, I think um, some of the folks at uh, some of the folks on the campaign would uh, would would have some words with me if I didn't give you the opportunity to uh, to to give any other uh, pitches or give some dates or at least some plugs about. Um, uh, voting and volunteering and donating money uh, to Jess. Um, so just so everybody there doesn't yell at me, <laughs> please um, let us know um, sort of um, what kind of work you're doing, how we can, people can get involved doing that, how they can volunteer just in general, what sort of positions um, people can do, um, and you know any other sort of uh, details about the election itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, if any of the policies we've talked about, if any of these platform points resonate with anyone in any way, whether you care about the environment, whether you care about having health care as a human right, whether you care about preserving reproductive rights, all these things fall under our platform. Like I said before, there is something for everybody. And if we're going to make it happen at all in this election cycle, this is the race to be looking at. And this is the place to be involved. Um, the team is super nice. It's so easy to get started phone banking for us. Um, and Delawareans, I've heard, are really nice on the whole. I haven't phone banked for any other state, but we're usually pretty polite, so it makes the whole thing a lot easier. Um, all you have to do is go to jesperdelaware.com slash volunteer, put in your information, and one of us, um, maybe even me, will reach out to you uh, within like 24 hours and get you started with us. Um, the team is, like I said, super great. If you want to learn more about organizing, if you want to learn more about the different aspects of a campaign, whether that's comms, like social stuff, ads writing, any of that, um, they'll be happy to work with you to help you grow those skills. Um, I've definitely learned a lot from being a part of this. Um, yeah, and like this is a super important and super winnable election. Um, I said this was to race to watch, and the reason why is because 
Delaware is really, really small and it's really blue. So we only need something like 60,000 votes in this primary and the general is basically a formality, which means Jess will be in the Senate and we'll have six years of progressive policies. We'll have someone who's really fighting for us there. Um, so the work that you put in here, the dollars you donate, the hours you put in on the dialer, um, the votes you send us, all of these things go much farther here than they would in other states and in other even congressional districts. Um, Delaware is the lowest lying state in the nation. We are the most susceptible to rising sea levels. We need a Green New Deal now. Delaware writes the corporate law for the rest of the nation. Um, I think it's something like 60% of Fortune 500 companies are headquartered here. And Jess being elected would give her a lot more influence over the Delaware Democratic Party. And she would be able to support down ballot progressives in the local legislature and help amend a lot of the things regarding that. Um, and this is Joe Biden's old Senate seat we're talking about. So replacing that position with a true progressive, to me, that's the best way to stick it to the establishment this year. <laughs> well, that's now that's the kind of talk I like. Uh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I mean, as I said, uh, you know, people are afraid to go outside the consensus, um, but there are. But the consensus is what got us here. It's not going to. It's not going to protect you know our low lying state. It's not going to protect the health of everybody. Um, yeah, and if those things are important to you, these are the kind of things electorally that we can do that mean even more than that. Um, it's you know, it's a leadership because we're going to have to keep going. You know, nothing. It that's a that's a step in the direction, but not a win. We're going to keep going regardless. So, no, that's that's very cool. So, um, Vasu Jayanti, how did I do? Vasu. Vasu. Why do I keep saying shoe? Why, I, was it was it was your name longer? Is that shorter? Is that a, is that a shortened name? It was shortened. Okay. See, I knew I knew there was something up with it. That's what I'm going to say. Um, but thank you very much. I, I very much appreciate it. And um, I I hope um, you know fingers crossed. Maybe uh, we'll run into each other uh, at a at a uh, at a victory party somewhere. Yeah, I hope so. I thank hope so too. So yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yep. One last thing. Sure. Absentee ballots, send them in ASAP. We've talked about delays with the USPS. Um, even though the actual election is September 15th, you need to have them in before then. So make sure to send it in like two to three weeks in advance just to make sure it gets here on time. Yes. And, and you can uh, go online. Carl will put the, the, uh, the link there. And it does give you, you know, reason, any reason for coronavirus. It tells you you can click it, um, gives you all the information. Um, you probably were also mailed a, a, you know, a form if you wanted to do requested by mail, but you don't have to do that. And, um, you know, get them in early. Get them in. Get them in. Vote for Jess. Let's do this. Yeah. Vasu. See? Now I got it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.